Welcome to The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. Hello, and thanks for listening. And thanks for spreading the word about The Next Track. We've been getting a lot of new listeners lately, and we attribute that to word of mouth and some positive social media buzz from our regular listeners. So again, thanks for helping us build an audience. This is episode number 34 of The Next Track, and it's brought to you by Softarino, the software makers of Walter 2. With Walter 2, you can transfer almost any kind of media to your iOS device without iTunes. I'll have more about Walter 2 later on. You know, when we first started this podcast, we were concerned that we'd run out of topics after about seven episodes. But it turns out we had nothing to worry about. We've gotten a lot of questions from listeners about topics that they'd like us to cover. And one topic that's come up a number of times is the cloud. Different word, same old thing, nothing new. Remember back in the day, we didn't use that word, the cloud. We just talked about servers. Right, exactly. So let me start this episode with a pithy statement. Every once in a while, someone asks me, what exactly is the cloud? My partner asked me once, what's the cloud? I don't understand it. She's not a tech-savvy person. And basically, the cloud is someone else's computer. Someone else's computer. Back in the day, we called them servers. We called them, I don't know, we said something was stored online. And then some guy in a marketing department someplace, probably an intern, came up with a thing, maybe maybe took on a spliff for a while and came up with the idea, oh man, fluffy clouds, let's call it the cloud, as if it's like floating up in the air there someplace, as if it's like a zeppelin. <laughs> yeah, it's a good word though. I mean, I like, I like thinking that my files are being so well accommodated in a stratospheric comfy cloud. But clouds sometimes become stormy. He said, dragging out the metaphor. And they turn gray and black and they spit out lightning and thunder and rain and all that. So, and this is one of the problems with the cloud. When it works, it's fine. And when it doesn't work, well, it's not so good, is it? No, and that's usually the point where my my dreamy, heavenly image of files in the cloud gets burst. And I realize that my files are most likely stored like on a Dell somewhere in a, in a rusty equipment rack in a sub-basement, you know, someone else's computer. So we're, we're not looking at the cloud in general. Um, a, a lot of us use the cloud for many things. I use it for Dropbox. We use Google Drive to store documents that we share about the show. I use Evernote, which stores things in the cloud. What do you use, Doug? Uh, Dropbox, Google Drive, like you mentioned. Kindle purchases are in the cloud until I download them. I suppose my website could be considered in the cloud. Oh, and of course, iCloud Drive, going back to when it was uh, iTools. I'll drag and drop data back and forth between my machines on iCloud Drive. Well, but we also use iCloud for data, for contacts and calendars and, and things like that. Sure. So the cloud we want to talk about today is the cloud as it relates to music, obviously. Apple uses their cloud infrastructure for iCloud Music Library. Spotify doesn't do anything like that. They don't really call it a cloud because you can't match your music. With Amazon, you can store music in in their cloud, so it's more like a file locker. It doesn't match. I believe Google Play actually matches the way um, Apple Music and, and iTunes match do. So the, the real question is, why would you want to use the cloud and why would you want to sync? Because you basically have these two options right now. Right, especially if you've purchased digital downloads or ripped a CD or otherwise generated the file yourself. But if you're just streaming arbitrarily, then you don't even to worry about the cloud. Let, let me start with my situation where I've got two computers, the, the iMac that I'm in front of right now and the MacBook, which is to my left. My big music library is on the iMac. And well, if you've followed this show and if you visit my website from time to time, you've probably seen that I've had some very bad experiences with iCloud Music Library. So I do not trust my main music library to the cloud. 
Now, if I didn't work at home, if I was commuting and I wanted to have access to music in different ways, I might do this differently, but I don't need the cloud for what I'm doing. Now, my MacBook, on the other hand, is entirely, I call it a test library. It's all in the cloud. It's all uh, Apple Music, iCloud Music Library. That connects to my iPad and my iPod Touch, whereas my iPhone syncs with iTunes. So I do both of these. Sometimes, you know, some of my devices work with the cloud and some sync directly. What about you? I went all in with iCloud Music Library not too long ago. I didn't do it right away, but I finally decided to um, just to see. You know, I want to be able to experience it and see how it might affect Apple scripts I've written or apps I've developed or to be able to troubleshoot when users have issues. So I said, what the heck? Now, I have all my music, my local files on an external drive mounted to an iMac. And of course, the files are backed up. Now, from that iMac, they're matched or uploaded or whatever to the cloud. And I'm able to access most of my library on all of my devices and on other machines. You've committed yourself. Yeah, but like I said, everything is backed up in a central location. And I haven't given up on local files. In fact, I suppose if I were to cut the cloud cord, you know, that is not use iCloud Music Library, suddenly just shut it off, I'd still be, I'd be fine. I'd be no worse off than I was five years ago. Right. And another thing worth pointing out is while my iPhone syncs to my iMac and it's got about 4,000 songs on it, I can still use Apple Music on my iPhone. The only thing I can't do is add things to my iCloud Music Library, rate love songs, dislike them, and, and add playlists and all that. So I can stream anything I want. It's just that I don't have the convenience of being able to control my library, build the library, add and remove things. We're talking about the cloud and we're talking about syncing. And I, I still enjoy syncing files to my iPods. Um, I don't sync to my iOS devices, but occasionally, you know, we, we did an episode a few weeks ago on, on the iPod Classic. And I still think that managing music and videos with an iPod either by syncing or by manually managing it, is still a better way to go. I don't know if that's just because of the way I was brought up or the way that Apple, you know, trained us to use the iPod with iTunes 15 years ago. But that seems to be, to me, the most comfortable way of managing music on a, on a portable device. You're sure what goes there. You're sure how much you can fit there. So here we get to one of the advantages to using the cloud is that you're not limited in terms of space. You can have... Well, you can have up to 100,000 tracks in your iCloud music library, and you can listen to these on a 16 gigabyte iPhone or iPod Touch or whatever. The ability to have that much more music available is quite compelling. Now, the downside to this is you need internet access for that music. You can download some of it when you want. Um, let's say you're at home before you go out, you download, you know, a half dozen albums you might want to listen to. But if there's another album that you didn't download, you either need Wi-Fi or you need to use your phone's cellular access. And that can cost money depending on what your phone contract is. And, and I think this is one of the problems with the cloud today, that until we get a an affordable, all the data you can eat contract, using the cloud solely for music isn't just it's just not ideal because there's always going to be that one album, that one song, that one playlist you want to hear that you don't have on your device. Well, you can also get hooked on it too. For instance, I've been using Apple Music with my iPhone while I drive around doing errands around town. Now that's, I'm not driving a lot. I'm not driving a half an hour every day. I'm just, you know, making short trips to the grocery store, the hardware store and, and that. And I'm using up my phone's data plan just by casually listening to Apple Music, which is 
it's frustrating. It, you know, you get three weeks into the month and you get a little warning from your provider saying, hey, you know, you're burning, you're burning up uh, gigs here. So one of the reasons I still like to use files is, is for that very reason. I mean, I really can't use Apple Music as frequently as I'd like to. It's easier to do it the old-fashioned way, load up a bunch of songs in my pocket and, and, and you know, listen to them that way, whether I'm listening to a USB stick in the car or an, on iPod. Uh, to me, it's still the, the most convenient way of doing it. Yeah, because you, you know what you've got. You're in control. You don't have to worry. Because also, you're driving around, and what if you get to a, a, an area where you have no cell access, and you're in the middle of an album, and so, so the way it works with Apple Music and probably with all the others is that it downloads one track at a time. It's not going to download the entire album unless you manually choose to download an album. But if you're listening to something in order, you'll get to a point where all of a sudden it's going to stop because you just can't, you don't have the access anymore. You know, the way you describe it just there, it, it sounds so complicated. It's, it, it's, such a, it's a process that seems so far removed from pulling a CD from a shelf and playing it in a CD player, you know? And I realize that streaming is here to stay, and I enjoy a lot of the streaming services. But if you enjoy the self-curated listening experience, doing it through the cloud is not always the most reliable. No, it's not. Let's take a break here, and we'll be back to our conversation in just a minute. So I was just talking about manually managing music files, which I prefer to do. And one tool that I found indispensable is Walter 2 from Softarino. Walter 2 will transfer virtually any media file to your iOS device. Doesn't matter if it's a format your music or video app doesn't support. That's not a problem. Just drag that file to Walter 2 on your desktop and let it go to work. And you'll be able to play that file on your iPhone, your iPad, your iPod. Think about the audio formats that aren't supported by the music app. They got high res, flavors of AUG, FLAC, video, EPUBs. Now, Softarino likes to say on their website that Walter 2 does this magically. But listeners to this show in particular know that magic is a term that gets thrown around a lot. So believe me when I tell you that Walter 2 just does a great job converting the files without any loss. It really is impressive. I may have mentioned in an earlier episode about the number of FLAC files I always avoided. But let me tell you, I've been grabbing some FLAC downloads when I can, and I've got them on my iPod Classic right now. I really recommend it. Walter 2. Check it out at softarino.com. Transfer virtually any media file to your Apple device without iTunes, without loss. Okay, like magic. So one of the problems with the cloud, and again, we're focusing on iTunes here. We're focusing on the iCloud Music Library and Apple Music because it's what we know best. I know that Google Play matches tracks. I don't think Amazon does. Spotify doesn't. Spotify can play local music through its app if it's on your phone, whether it's an iOS device or an Android phone. But one of the problems with the cloud with Apple is, and I'll put a link in the show notes to a couple of articles that I've written about this. It either doesn't match all the tracks that you've got in your library, so it uploads some of them. Um, it matches tracks incorrectly. Or, and, and this is something I've been hearing more and more of recently, someone will go to play a song from a studio album of their favorite band and they hear a live version of it. Now, the, the way this matching works uses something called acoustic fingerprinting. If you're familiar with Shazam, you open the Shazam app and you hold your phone up to a speaker and in five seconds it tells you what the song is. Because each song has what's called an acoustic fingerprint and it only takes a few seconds for Shazam or what Apple's using to be able to de detect what it is. So it really doesn't make sense that this should be happening with Apple Music, that it should be playing a different version of the song. It's not the melody that gets the acoustic fingerprinting. It's the arrangement. It's everything. That reminds me. Here's an, here's an observation on what I usually call 
the paradigm clash, okay? For instance, if you've got local files and you're using iTunes, iTunes is aware that you either have the file you told it it had, or you don't have the file you told it it had. You either have a live track or you have a dead track. You know what I mean? So you've got, you know, yes, we have it. No, we don't. But when you're using iCloud Music Library, there are varying degrees of existence. There's like, there's waiting, there's uploaded, there's match, there's error, there's duplicate, there's uh, ineligible. Uh, you know, there these varying degrees of whether or not you actually have access to the music or not, which adds a level of complication, especially when you think, like I just said, you've got live music or you've got dead music. You've either got it or you don't. But with, with iCloud Music Library, you're never sure of whether you really do have it or whether you don't have it. Yeah, I had an experience, and I tested this a couple times, and I haven't tested it recently. I downloaded a Frank Sinatra album. I think it was called The Ultimate Frank Sinatra. I'll have a link in the show notes to my article. It was about five CDs of Frank Sinatra's greatest hits. And what was interesting is, you know, Sinatra recorded for a number of labels, and this set included stuff from the various labels. So you get the good early stuff plus the good later stuff. Of course. So I downloaded this. The album artwork was there. It was one album. Left it in my iTunes library. And a couple hours later, it was all messed up. It was about eight different albums with different artists, like the Tommy Dorsey Orchestra, different artwork. Basically what happened is it downloaded the music and it, re it matched the downloaded music somehow. And so it changed the metadata. Now, this is something I downloaded from Apple Music and it should have retained Apple Music's metadata. This is not uncommon. You know, I, I write the Ask the iTunes Guy column at Macworld, and I get a lot of emails from people with this sort of problem. It's not uncommon that something matches incorrectly. And one feature request people have had is a sort of a a force match where you say to, to iCloud Music Library, this is this album. Please match this to this album. Yeah, I hadn't heard that idea before. I mean, but that's that also sounds like, you know, make it do this. And it... Th it's not easy, obviously. I mean, you think it would be a simple matter of matching metadata, but uh, you know, despite the clumsiness of the metadata, the sound in the audio file is still what you expect, despite what the labeling is. But what if I had a playlist where the artist is Frank Sinatra? Those tracks that change to the Tommy Dorsey Orchestra, they won't show up. Yeah, it's well, it's inconvenient when the 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 mechanism you're using to play the audio file is depending on specific metadata. You're depend you're depending on accurate metadata, no question. But just because it's labeled differently doesn't mean that, that it's a different track. Well, no, but it might be a different track because it might, the, the version that I added to my library might have been a remastered version or something. And the ones, the tracks that were being matched might have been non-remastered and the sound quality might not be the same. And the whole mastering, remastering thing is a problem on iTunes that if there are multiple versions of an album, which one does something get matched to? What I'm seeing is I get tracks from, from greatest hits albums, which is fine to some degree. For instance, I wanted to hear a song from Dave Edmonds' uh, Subtle as a Flying Mallet album. And it comes up on a, on a greatest hits album that I'm not really that familiar with. But then if I want to hear any other song on Subtle as a Flying Mallet, I can't because they're not all included on this greatest hits album. Yeah, if you're if you're scrolling through a list of albums and you're looking for a specific album and then you find that the album's not there because that song ended up on the greatest hits. And and so that's another thing that iCloud Music Library does. It won't let you upload the same track twice. So if you've got a track on the original album, on the greatest hits album, on an extended version of the original album, it only uploads the first one. So that means the other albums are incomplete. Right. And then in some cases, it shows up then as, as a duplicate in iTunes. Right. But not on your iPhone. They right. don't. 
they don't they don't upload so if you're on your iphone there's that one track on the third album of your favorite artist which isn't going to be there because it's on another album and uh, to me the continuity of listening to an album is far more important than the existence of a song and the fact that apple is so i understand why apple's doing it because it is the same audio just with different metadata right but i think they're doing it wrong uh, i think they have to take into account the fact that people have different ways of looking at it. you know some some of the tracks that i've matched come back down as like you know, greatest rock hits of 1982 or something like that. Now, you know, the kind of album I would never buy. And, and again, when I'm looking at the album list, I, I just don't recognize these things. You know, I said earlier that I've gone all in with iCloud Music Library, but I, I really haven't. Um, I've, I use it to, to listen to music from my iMac, but generally when I'm out and about, I'm listening to Apple Music and I don't combine any of that stuff. So I'm streaming on the phone um, Apple Music but when I'm at home listening to music, I'm more likely to listen to stuff uh, in my own local file collection. But I'm 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 anxious about actually combining the two services. Well, if you're streaming the music without adding it to your iCloud Music Library, it's no problem. But if you do add it to your iCloud Music Library, you have the same problem. Let's say you put the Rolling Stones' greatest hits or whatever, and then you want to download and then you want to add an album with one of the songs on the greatest hits album, it won't show up. So it's not even, this isn't music you own, this is still music you're just borrowing here. And yet it's just a little bit inconsistent the way that works. I find it frustrating because you and I, we grew up in the time of albums and we think in terms of albums. And other than like specific playlists for artists that I listen to, I'm more inclined to want to listen to an album than Absolutely. You know, just sort of a bunch of random songs. You know, and when I was working in radio, you'd play music and listeners didn't care what album it was from. I mean, we'd mention it occasionally. But I mean, they just wanted to hear the song. But for, for people like us who are album-oriented, it's not just the song. It's the song from that album. But it's also the song after the song before it and before the song after it. Yeah, but it's... But that's not a thing anymore. That's only for, for people like us who are album-oriented. I think, for the most part, people who are interested in streaming, they're interested in, you know, creating their own experience and not necessarily having, uh, you know, ownership of the music. They're, fully, they're completely content with having someone else curate their experience for them. Well, how about we just speculate on the future of the cloud? What, what would we like to see? There, there are a number of variables. I mean, one, I think the biggest variable is access. If you don't have a contract that lets you download, you know, a terabyte a month, then you're stuck. And again, we're only talking about music. We're not talking about video. I have an extraordinary vision of the future of music. It's almost like Philip K. Dick. In the future, there will only be one copy of a work. For instance, if I'm the Rolling Stones, I record, you know, one file of this song. And this file is placed in a special golden cloud server. And there's only one copy of it. So that whenever you want to access um, that song, that's the copy that you stream from. And that's the way it works for everybody. So there's no mistaking that the, the, the audio information in the file is, is what the producer intended it to be. There's no mistaking that the metadata associated with it is exactly what the Rolling Stones wanted for it. I mean, obviously it's a ridiculously idealistic idea, but I mean, sometimes I wonder if that's the way we ought to go. Of course, we got to be more reasonable. I think what we're likely to see in the future is specific phone companies offering um, 
non-cap deals if you use a certain service. So Spotify partners, let's say with AT&T, and if you've got AT&T, you can use all the data you want to stream music from Spotify. Apple partners with Verizon or whoever it is. And the interest here is that if you're committed to a streaming service, you're also going to lock in with a phone company, and that's what the phone companies want. Um, the thing phone companies don't like is how many people change every time a contract runs out, and they need a, a way to, to keep you um, in there. They need a way to keep you as a client. There are um, providers that are doing that now, aren't there? Well, I don't know if it's happening now over there. Here, there's a company called Deezer, which was first started in France, the phone company here is EE that bought out Orange and T-Mobile over here. And so in the UK, if you have certain phone plans with EE, you get unlimited streaming with Deezer. You get, you get the service as part of your contract, but you also don't get a data cap. I, I can see it as, again, a, a way of getting committed customers, but I'm actually surprised we haven't seen it more yet. Well, who's... Who's making the money in that situation? Is the provider making the money? Is the uh, the service making the money? Well, they probably get. So uh, I would think that if you're if you're bundling the two services, right, your streaming service and your phone contract, the streaming service is getting less per customer, but they're getting the money per customer because they don't have to go out and, and acquire that customer through their own marketing. It's the phone company who does it for them. Right. One thing to look at is the number of people who actually pay to subscribe to streaming music services. I think Spotify is currently at 40 million, Apple at 20 million. If you add up a bunch of other services, smaller services, let's say you got another 20 million. So you've got fewer than 100 million people on a planet with 6 billion people. It's really a drop in the bucket. And, and I think there are two things going on here. The first is that not that many people care that much about music. So they're more than happy to go to YouTube and stream a song when they want to hear it or even use an ad-supported service like Spotify's ad-supported version. And the second is people just don't want to pay $10 or here 10 pounds a month to stream music. I think the pricing is going to have to change in order, because remember, if twice as many people pay to stream and it costs half as much, the same amount of money is being distributed to the artists. And it doesn't mean they're actually getting less because most people who have streaming subscriptions don't stream that much. It's very complex calculations to the way the money gets distributed here. So it's still a drop in the bucket. It's it's still a very new phenomenon, and I think we have a long way to go. A bumpy way to go. So there there is another way to use the cloud, and that's to create your own cloud. Now, you could use either a network-attached storage device. You could use Plex. You could use a number of solutions like that. You can even use Dropbox. If you have a one-terabyte Dropbox plan, there are apps that you can use to play music from Dropbox. You don't get the same flexibility that you do with um, you know, making playlists and, and grabbing all the music in the cloud. But if you have a lot of your own music and you want to make it accessible and you don't have a one-terabyte phone, this is a, a good solution. How does that work? Well, basically, you dump all your music in a phone folder and you've got these apps that let you navigate the music by folder like you know the old way rather than seeing it maybe some of them can sort by artist and album because they can read the metadata but they're pulling your music from the cloud and so you're not limited in terms of you're not limited to what's available on a cloud service because you may have music that's not streamable and you're not limited to the amount of music on your device because you're not syncing manually 
just an example, the, the the German label ECM that does jazz and classical music, they don't stream anywhere. So if you're a big fan of ECM and you want to listen to that music, the only way you can do it is either syncing or through your own personal sort of cloud type thing. And again, if you had your personal cloud, you'd still need um, you'd still need a, a decent service provider to, and you'd still be using a bandwidth. So you'd have to watch that. Right. But the advantage here is that you're accessing your own music without having to sync to your device with the limitation of syncing. I mean, I've got a 64 gig iPhone. I've got like 42 gigs of music on it. And, you know, with apps and documents, that's about all I can put. So you do have that flexibility that you can stream more music. But again, you could only really stream it if you have an unlimited data plan or if you're on Wi-Fi. I mean, if, if you're just doing this so you can have music at work, you can stream it that way and then you don't have to worry. You, wherever you work probably has Wi-Fi unless you work in like a national park or something or on an oil rig. Oil rigs have, must have Wi-Fi. I think national parks probably don't. So I think the cloud is the future. As you were saying, we will eventually have everything in the cloud, but there, there are just so many conditions that need to be met right now in terms of network access, in terms of pricing, in terms of what's available in the cloud. And, and we actually didn't discuss that much, but there are still labels and, and artists that aren't streamable. So again, you can buy this music and put it in the cloud, even with iCloud Music Library. But if you don't, then you may not be able to listen to this music that you like. So I think there is a, a, a utopian idea that one day everything will be available, but I think it's a tough slog to get there because this is all about money. It's not about people liking music. It's about who's going to make the most money off of this. We'd like to thank the sponsor of this episode, Softorino. They are the makers of Walter 2, software that lets you transfer virtually any kind of media to your iOS devices without iTunes. Check it out, Walter2 at softorino.com. Time now for our next tracks. What are you listening to this week, Kirk? So my next track this week is both an album and an app. And this is the first time I've seen something like this. Brian Eno on January 1st released an album called Reflection. Now... This is in the same vein as his ambient, his long ambient works, music like Discrete Music or Thursday Afternoon, Neroli, or even Lux, which is four shorter ambient tracks that are sort of soundscapes that he made for installations. Music like this is generative. In other words, he's not scoring the music. He's coming up with melodies and light motifs and sounds, and he's got an algorithm that puts them together in a certain way. So he creates all this and he spends a lot of time tweaking it and listening to it until it sounds good. And in, in each of the records I mentioned, you know, Discrete Music 1975 was just a 30 minute segment of a generative piece that he did. And in the notes that he wrote to go with this album, he points out that he had always wanted this music to be more like a river rather than just like an excerpt from something. So in addition to the album Reflection, there is also an iOS app developed by Peter Chilvers, who's done a number of other apps with Brian Eno and who we'll be having as a guest on the show in, in the next couple of weeks. Essentially, you run this app and you can listen to this music forever. The, the record itself now is not the piece of music. The app is the piece of music. And I think this is actually quite groundbreaking. And unlike listening to the record over and over, it just changes all the time. It's really interesting because... As I listened to it for several hours, I'd hear bits and pieces and the sounds that are familiar and the combinations of the sounds that are familiar, but it never actually sounded the same. 
So it's called Reflection. Um, the link in the show notes is to an article I wrote on my website, which has links to the CD and to the iOS app. Doug, what about you this week? We're coming up on the first anniversary of David Bowie's death. That's the 10th of January. And I thought I'd listen to his 1978 stage album. This is a live album, parts of which were recorded at a performance I actually attended in Providence back in the day. So that's one reason I'm giving it a spin. But I also like this record a lot, even though it's probably unlikely to be considered for a Bowie top 10. The band is great, for one thing. It features uh, Adrian Ballou, who had just left Frank Zappa's touring band, Roger Powell from Utopia on keyboards, and Simon House from Hawkwind on electric violin. The set list was mostly comprised of songs from Heroes and Low and Station to Station, which you'd think might be difficult to perform live, but these guys have the sonic chops to pull off a very decent live Station to Station, for example. Oh, and it's also got a set of songs from the Ziggy Stardust album. Well... Ziggy Stardust is sung by the Thin White Duke. But I remember the actual show, and it was really good. We had a good time. I always liked this album as a sort of greatest hits collection, too. And in fact, there were criticisms about the album not even sounding live. The audience noise is somewhat reduced. But like I've said about live albums before, it's not the venue so much as the performance that I'm interested in. So, some live David Bowie. Stage is my next track. This has been The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. You can find show notes and links to some of the things we talked about in this and other episodes at thenexttrack.com. There's also a contact form there you can use to send us comments. If you like the show, we hope you'll subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please think about giving us a review or rating. We'd appreciate that. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs>